Hey guys, my name's Rachel, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, so yeah, um, I worked at the restaurant with Teresa and um, I would get in a fight with my boyfriend, get lost because I'm, I'm from Charlotte. I don't, didn't know my way around Greensboro and um, her and her hus- now husband would always come and find me. And um, I didn't realize that she drank even because that's the type of alcoholic I am. I'm so selfish and self-consumed with what I'm doing that I don't pay attention to the people around me. Um, so when I was like, are you an alcoholic? It's like, did you even drink? Um, she did. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's always an honor and a privilege to do anything of service for Alcoholics Anonymous, um, especially speak. And because of that connection, this, this time is a lot more special and meaningful to me. Um, start with the basics. So my sobriety date is, um, oh God, oh, May 25th, 2017. Uh, my home group is the Southern Pacific Group. We're in Charlotte. We meet Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays is a closed meeting. We, uh, at 8 o'clock, it's a discussion. Um, Thursdays, it's at 7.30. It's two 10-minute speakers and then a main speaker. It's an hour and a half meeting. Um, so if you're ever in Charlotte on a Tuesday and Thursday, we'd love to see you. Uh, I have a sponsor. She has a sponsor and so on and so forth. So I will just start at the beginning. Um, I grew up in Charlotte. I grew up an only child to two very loving parents. I had all of what I wanted, or I had all of what I needed and most of what I wanted. Um, and, you know, my everyone on my, I don't know if alcoholism is genetic or you just catch it. It doesn't matter um, to me because I know I'm an alcoholic, but Everyone on my mom's side of the family is an alcoholic, and everyone on my dad's side of the family is a drug addict. So I was just doomed from the beginning, I guess, if you believe it's hereditary. Um, so except my mom. My mom was a type of person where she drank alcoholically, but she just put it down because of a consequence, just one consequence. And that is not my story, and I kind of resented her for that for a while because I could not stop. You know, bad things happened to me, but I could not put it down. Um, and so the neighborhood where I grew up, there was a lot of kids my age. And it was a really nice neighborhood in Charlotte. And I just felt like we didn't belong there because my parents didn't have, you know, too, that much money to live in the neighborhood we did. We just got a good deal on the house. Um, and I would hang out with all the other kids my age and their moms would all hang out together. And it was like a play group. And I was just kind of the outsider kid. Like my mom's not around, you know, I'm not going on family beach vacations with these other families. It was almost like they're pitying me and letting me into their home. And they would just be sitting there with their stilettos and their pencil skirts on the couch in front of the fireplace, drinking wine. And I would see that and be like, when I grow up, like that is what I'm going to do. Like I'm going to drink like that. Um, it didn't happen. Shocker. Um, but I think my first resentment was involving alcohol and I resented my mom because why, like, mom, why aren't you cool? Like, why aren't you drinking? Why aren't you like these people? Like, there must be something wrong with you if you're not drinking because these women are clearly having a lot of fun. Um, so my, um, I feel like I was an alcoholic before I took my first drink. I love chaos. When things are going smoothly, I get really uncomfortable and uh, when I was about four or five years old, we had this black leather chair that's actually now in my apartment, and it was catty corner um, between two, two walls, and I would hide behind that, behind a curtain, and I would just wait for my parents to start looking for me. They'd be like, Rachel, Rachel, and um, they wouldn't find me, and my mom would, like, be hysterical and, like, go outside crying, like, 
thought someone had kidnapped me and I would finally come out and be like, here I am. And just loving, I loved seeing them freak out and like I knowing that I caused that chaos. Like it was some thrill that I had at four or five years old. Um, so that should have been a sign. Um, the first time I drank, I don't remember the first time I drank because I always took little sips here and there from, you know, an uncle or a dad's uh, beer or whatever. But the first time I ever got drunk, um, I was with two girls. They spent the night at our, my house, and we decided to sneak out. My dad, he was the kind of person, he would have a six-pack in the fridge in the garage, and it would sit there for four months, you know? And, um, you know, he's clearly not an alcoholic, but we took one beer and snuck out, and we walked two miles to this boy's house. Um, and I don't know what our plan was. We were going to, three girls, split one beer. Um, and then my... My dad, he, he found out that he woke up, he realized we were gone, he called me, came and picked us up. And there's that episode of that 70s show where Red, I guess, finds out that Eric Foreman's smoking cigarettes. So he was like, all right, we're gonna, you're going to smoke all these cigarettes until you get sick. And so that's what my dad made me do with um, the alcohol. So he's like, oh, y'all are trying to drink? Well, go ahead. Like, if you wanted to know what it was like, finish the six-pack. And I did. Um, the other girls, they drank like half of one and then went to bed. And my dad went to bed. And by myself, the first time I'm ever drunk, I'm sitting there alone drinking a six-pack and then go to the liquor cabinet. And I didn't realize that, you know, liquor is more powerful. Um, so my mom, she found me in the middle of the night throwing up um, in the bathroom. And there was never a consequence. We didn't talk about it the next morning. She made me a big, she made us a big breakfast. The girls were happy. I, I felt horrible um but you know I didn't get grounded we didn't have a talk about it about why it was bad and why I shouldn't do that anymore it was just um that was that and I feel like any normal person would have that experience and say like I'm never gonna do that again <laughs> but for me I just thought of those women that in their pencil skirts and stilettos drinking wine and I was like okay there's got to be there's got to be an algorithm or a formula of how to do that. And I just like overshot it this time and ne next time it'll be better. Um, so in high school, I, it was hard for me to get my hands on alcohol, but because I had had a, a taste of what it was like to be intoxicated and not feel the way I felt, um, I sought out other things, you know, just whatever, whatever it was to change the way I feel. Because the one thing I did remember and did enjoy from that first drunk was I felt free. It was like I felt like an elephant was sitting on my chest my whole life. And then when I took that drink until I got sick, um, you know, that like five minutes of bliss, it was like I was prettier. I was funnier. I, you know, that elephant wasn't on my chest anymore. And that's what I wanted to feel. Um, so anything that changed the way I felt, I sought it out, didn't care what it was. Uh, it wasn't until college that um, I really started drinking. So I... I Went to UNC Greensboro. That's how the connection here. Um, the first weekend of school, or before school even started, um, I found a guy. <laughs> he was, I made sure I found a guy that was 21 and he lived off campus. And it was a drunken one night stand and then I moved in the next day. Um, <laughs> and we were together for three years. Like it works. They still, we still talk sometimes. Um, but, I, you know, I gravitated towards that, and I instantly became a daily drinker. And when I got here, I thought, you know, I only drank for a couple years, like four or five years. Maybe, maybe I'm not an alcoholic, but I love how the book says that women 
dive into this. I can't remember exactly what it says, but it, basically along the lines of like, it hits women hard and it hits, hits us way faster. Um, and so re- seeing that in the book, it was like, okay, like may- maybe I do belong here. Um, so I was immediately out of control, immediately became a daily drinker. Um, also will say like I found another substance that I believe got me here way faster and it allowed me to drink longer and not feel the effects of alcohol. Um, and so that, that guy and I, like we became codependent on each other and that's all of our, all that our relationship was, was drinking and drugs. Um, you know, I, I had a lot of hopes and dreams and I, um, I wanted to be a social worker. I was in school to be a social worker but it was too hard and it was too sad. And so I just decided to change my major, um, which if anyone does this, it's, it's not a diss on it. But for me, my intention was I can drink hospitality and tourism. I was like, there's a bar beverage management class at 9 a.m. at a bar. Like, I'm totally going to make that my major. So that was my intentions. <laughs> I changed what I wanted for myself and I changed my morals and what I valued in life based on alcohol and drugs, um, you know, hands down. I, you know, and it should be the other way around. So I remember the first night I blacked out, um, I was at a party and I, I, I blacked out. I didn't remember what I did, obviously. And the next day I was walking through a campus and I had all these people like high-fiving me and be like, oh, Rachel, like you were so funny last night. And remember you did this. And remember you said that to that person. And, um, I feel like if you say it to someone who's not an alcoholic, it sounds kind of pathetic, but I was just happy to be known for something. You know, I've always been average at everything I do. Like, I was never really good at sports. I was never an A student. C's get degrees. Um, but I just never excelled at anything. And so I was like, I'm good at drinking. Okay, like, this is my calling. This is what I'm going to be known for. This is how I'm going to make friends. And I just ran with it. And I went from being the party girl, you know, that everyone wanted to be around very quickly to being in my room alone, drinking, um, by my, doing a so very social drug by myself. Um, and that's just not normal. So I'll fast forward a little bit. Um, you know, three, three years of that, same old thing, same old thing. Oh, no, I did. So 2010, I got a DUI. Um, I got a DUI on UNCG campus. And it was only because my headlight was out. Um, so I got pulled over. And for the longest time, until I was like a year sober, I thought that it was not my fault that I got a DUI. It was because I got, it was because my headlight was out. And my dad didn't change it for me, and he was supposed to change it. So it's my dad's fault I got the DUI. Um, never mind that I was about to get on the highway after drinking. So because I was only 20 um, and I had a DUI, like I definitely got my license taken away. There was no no avoiding that, but I got sentenced to AA. So I went to this meeting. Um, I don't remember what it was called. We were talking about on the way over here at St. Mary's Church off of Tate Street, the meditation meeting. Um, and it was really small, and I liked it because I could go in after drinking, and I could just lay down in the back and meditate and then just kind of listen to people. Um, and I don't remember what anyone ever said, but I always, I remember having that feeling of like, yes, yes, like I, I want to share, but I was too scared to share. But like, I could, I could relate. And there's this girl named Claire. I don't, I don't think she's around anymore. Um, and like, y'all knew I was drinking. Y'all could smell it. And like, even though I picked up the, the 24 hour chip, um, yeah, you guys had the 24 hour chip. 
like, I got swarmed with women, and it was, like, like, everyone was giving me their numbers, and this one girl, Claire, she knew I was still drinking, but she reached out anyway. She offered me rides, um, and she, like, took me to dinner. She told me her story. She listened to me whine and complain, and now that I'm sober, like, I realize what she was doing. She was doing 12-step work, and she was being of service, and that was for her sobriety. It wasn't for me. That was for her, and that's how we stay sober is, you know, one alcoholic relating to another alcoholic. Um, so, obviously, I, I didn't stay sober. That was in 2010. But in 2011, um, so May of 2017 is, is not my first sobriety date. It's, it's my second. I got sober in 2011. Um, and it was, I had a moment of clarity. Like it was the most, to this day, one of the most spiritual things that has ever happened to me. I had been up for about three days. My boyfriend, that, that guy, we didn't live together. We lived next door to each other because we could not live together without getting the cops called on us. Um, so I, I was trying to break into his house to get more money. Um, it's like seven o'clock in the morning. The birds are chirping, that awful, awful sound of birds chirping in the morning when you're like, oh, I did it again. <laughs> um, and all of a sudden, like, the sun's out. It just started downpouring, like it was, or was right now. Um, started downpouring for about 30 seconds, and then it stopped, and the sun was out again. Um, and I don't know if that really happened, because I was not sober, but that is what I remember, and that is, like, what I hold on to. And I just picked up, like, sat down and cried, and I picked up the phone, and I called my mom in Charlotte, and I told her, if you don't come get me right now, I'm going to kill myself. And I told her everything that I had been doing, which she probably didn't need to know. Um, and my parents were here in Greensboro an hour and a half. They took me to Fellowship Hall, right? They, I was supposed to go to Fellowship Hall. Um, they were like, all right, you're going to get sober. You're going to do this, and you're still going to go to school, and, like, we're not going to tell anyone in the family, and, you know, it's all going to be okay. And... Um, after I sobered up, that was on a Thursday and Saturday night. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, I made a mistake. Like, it's not that bad. Um, you know, I made a mistake. I've got it under control. Like, I just need to have a little more willpower. Um, and five days later, I ended up in the hospital of an overdose. So it was one of those things where it looked suicidal. And I was at that place where I didn't want to drink anymore but I didn't not want to drink and I didn't want to kill myself because I didn't have the balls to do it, but I didn't want to live. And every night before I would go to sleep, I hear this from the podium all the time. Like I would pray to God, a God that I didn't believe in and say, just please don't let me wake up. Like, I don't want to kill myself because I'm scared, but I just don't want to wake up because I don't want to, I don't want to live without alcohol, but I can't do this anymore. I'm just so tired. Um, and so, long story short, I ended up in the hospital, and they said, you can either go in the psych ward or you can go into the care of your parents. So I chose my parents, um, obviously. I don't want to go in the psych ward. Um, so that's why I disappeared suddenly. <laughs> didn't, tell, t didn't say bye to anyone. Um, her husband actually helped my dad and my, my half-brother move my stuff from, from Greensboro to Charlotte like a week or two later, which is very nice. Um, but yeah, that was when I first, the first time I got sober. So I went to an outpatient program in Charlotte, and I was 21 at the time. So it was three months after my 21st birthday, and I was like, this is, my life is over. Like, my godmother was sober. She's been sober for 15 years, um, and she's, she took me to my first meeting, and I was like, oh, Lord. Like, it's, it's going to be me and all of her old friends for the rest of my life in church basements. 
Um, and, and at my, which, you know, that's my life now, and I love it. But the second meeting I went to, I met this woman. Um, my godmother, like, shoved me into her. She's like, this is going to be your sponsor. Um, and she was really cute. She had a really cute haircut. She had super nice jeans. They were sevens. Um, I liked her makeup. <laughs> and she had a nice manicure. And I was like, there's no way this girl drank. Um, and, oh, she also drove a minivan. I was like, we have nothing in common. Um, and that woman saved my life. She, like, she came into my life at the perfect time. She was going through a divorce. She had been sober. She had just gotten a year. Um, she had her kids half the time. So I didn't have a license. She did have a license. You know, I didn't know how to stay sober. She did. So she would pick me up every day, and we would go to a noon meeting. Then we would go out to lunch, and she introduced me to people. She taught me how to have fun sober, um, how to do things like we went to the club. We went dancing. You know, we would stay out. Um, we have, in Charlotte, we have this 24-hour coffee shop, bakery place called Amelie's. And, like, we would stay there until 5 o'clock in the morning drinking Red Bull and playing cards. And it was so much fun. Like, I remember waking up um, in the morning and my, my stomach hurt because I would laugh so hard. And I hadn't remember the last time that I had laughed that hard um, ever, really. And so I um, stayed sober for six years. I, um, you know, I, I went through the steps. I was sponsoring women. And at about four years sober, so her ex-husband, he died from this disease. Um, and I now know I did the wrong thing. Is I, I thought, I don't want to bug her. I'm just not going to call her. Like, I don't, <laughs> she's got enough on her plate. Now I know that she needed me. Um, not that me specifically, but she needed someone to be calling her and holding her accountable. Um, so I ended up sponsoring myself for about a year and a half. Then I got, finally got a sponsor in name. Um, and, you know, six and seven, step six and seven are really important to me now because I never worked those before. You know, I wanted to be Little Miss Perfect AA. I was going to like seven or eight meetings a week. I had four or five sponsors at a time. I was chairing meetings. I had a commitment. Every meeting I went to, and I just, I wanted you to think that like everything was, like I was a rock star at AA, and that's like being the tallest Oompa Loompa. Like who cares? Um, <laughs> and on the inside, like I wasn't working six and seven, and those character defects, like just because I'm not drinking doesn't mean I'm a good person. I mean, today on, when I was leaving Charlotte, this guy cut me off, and then I cut him off, and then he cut me off again, and, like, I gave him the finger, and, you know, like, I thought about that. I upset, he went off, and I was like, I have to follow him. Like, I'm going to call Teresa and say I can't speak. Like, and I thought about it for 30 minutes. Like, just because I'm not drinking doesn't mean I'm a good person. Like, I still have to do the work, and I still have to have a relationship with a higher power. Um, and I wasn't doing that stuff because I was sponsoring myself. Um, so I, I played around with the idea of, of drinking, but I was like, I'm not going to drink unless I know I can get that other white stuff. Um, I'm just going to go out, like, do it all at once. And that's what I told myself. And so I kind of dipped my toe in the water and, like, saw, like, who I still knew. And I was like, no, 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 no I'm not, not going to do it. Um, and then I ended up – so I don't, I don't know if my six years – was valid? I don't think it was. Um, but I was prescribed to this medicine, and I've been prescribed to it pretty much my whole life, and they wanted to try me on another one. Um, 
and it made me feel real good and real energetic and I liked it and I didn't tell anyone and I started taking two then three then four then getting flagged at the pharmacy um, you know trying to explain it and I was on my fourth step and my sponsor at the time um, she spoke she spoke on a Friday night and she talks about she's got like 25 years now but she talked about when she had like five years she just took a sip of alcohol without even thinking about it and she had to change her sobriety date and I was like that is so brave of you to say that because I had been sitting on my four step for three months trying to think how I can tell her this woman how I'm taking four you know pills a day to make me feel like how I wanted to feel without making it sound like I relapsed you know and if if there was nothing wrong with that like I wouldn't have been obsessing about it so that night um I took my two sponsees back to the treatment center and I called her and I said, this is what I've been doing. Do I need to pick up a white chip? She's like, hell yeah, you need to pick up a white chip. Absolutely. No question about it. I was like, well, do you want to call your sponsor? She's like, no, you need to. Um, and I drank that night and I told her, it's like, I'm going to drink, you know, cause I wasn't about to pick up a white chip, you know, without drinking. Um, <laughs> You might be an alcoholic if. <laughs> um, so I, like I said, I had been dipping my toe in that water, and I, I knew where to go. I was playing with fire. Um, and within three hours of picking up a drink after not drinking for six years, I um, was trying the drug that I said I never would. I had people at my house that should not have been there um, doing all this illegal stuff, being not a sober ladylike woman. You know, within three hours, it was just back to what it was, even worse. Um, and my, so that relapse, it lasted 18 days, um, exactly 18 days. I had just, I just graduated college, you know, like gifts of sobriety, like I got a, I got a good job. They helped me go back to college. I was able to graduate. I was able to do it sober and, you know, how dare me think I can I can drink like a like a lady like those women in the stilettos and pencil skirts? Because um, in my head, that's what I wanted. That's what I thought it was going to be. But I don't want to drink like that. Like I don't ever want to drink like that. I want to get obliterated. I don't want to feel the way I feel, and I want to be numb. Um, that's just how I how I drink and how I want to feel. And so all my graduation money was gone. Um, I racked up my credit cards, maxed them all out. Um, and, and the people, like, the people in AA, they reached out, but they, I was mad because y'all don't want to hang out with me. <laughs> and now, like, I know that they were doing what they were supposed to do is, is love me from a distance and not enable in me and just let me, let me hit my own bottom. Um, and this time, my bottom, I didn't have that spiritual awakening. Um, I didn't have that spiritual awakening again. I was sitting at a bar by myself, and it was a Thursday night. And so my home group, we have three-month-long commitments. And my three-month-long commitment was to set up the chairs. And it was like 7 o'clock, and I'm sitting there alone. And I'm like, damn, all of, the, all of the people that love me and know my story and are, have been there for me, they're at a meeting right now, and I'm supposed to be there. Like, someone else had to fill it. I'm, I'm you know, I didn't keep a commitment. And here I am alone at a bar. Um, and then I just, like, started crying, and I just felt alone. 
And that, that's, I sound pathetic saying that too, or like I feel pathetic, but it's like, I came back in because I, I missed you guys. Um, and like you had shown me a way of life with so much joy and happiness and laughter. Um, and I didn't, I don't wake up every morning wanting to die. Um, and I don't go to sleep at night now saying like, oh, please don't let me wake up in the morning. Um, you know, unfortunately that, that wasn't enough for me. Like I had to, I had to drink a little more. Um, and so I, I had gotten this roommate off of Craigslist. I don't recommend that. <laughs> so the roommate, the roommate I had right before I relapsed, she, she was stealing from me. It was this whole, whole ordeal. So I was like, you know, get, I had to get, find a roommate fast. And so she was, she was young. She was like 22 and she just moved here from New York and her uncle was sober, like kind of, um, like he said he was an AA, but he's like, oh, I still drink. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> But I was like, okay, well, she knows that connection, so, like, she knows that, like, when I say I'm sober, what that means. And then two weeks later, you know, I relapsed, and it was game on, like, both of us. Um, And she was just like me, if not worse. Um, And so I had a little running buddy. And um, it was, like, 5 o'clock in the morning, and this person, this these two men were over that shouldn't have been over and someone, they thought that she stole $10. Um, and I don't know if she did or not, but the next thing I know, like this man who I don't even know has my roommate by the neck and is about to punch her and swing on her. And luckily the other guy stepped in and she was crying. Like we were all, you know, drunk. And she's just like, Rachel, stop drinking. Like just stop. Cause I kept drinking. She's like, why can't you just stop? I almost got killed. And I said, I don't, I don't care what happens to you. All I care about is I get what I want. Um, and when I said those words, I was like, ooh, like, yikes. Um, so I called my mom. It's a pattern. I call my mom <laughs> when shit hits the fan. Um, and I, I said, I want to get sober again. Like, I don't want to do this. Um, and so she said that they, they had a bed at detox for me. I decided not to go. Um, I just wanted to detox myself. So I ended up turning my phone off. This girl, like she had long left her, her uncle came and got her and I didn't see them again. Um, and I just slept it off for 48 hours. And, you know, I, I emailed my boss and said, family stuff happened, not coming in. And luckily, I think the only reason I kept my job was because my boss is in Atlanta and I work remotely. So it was like, I, I could kind of do what I wanted without it seem, seeming weird. Um, and so that was, so that was May 25th, 2017. And when I woke up, so the next week I got pink eye, never had pink eye before, but I got pink eye. And then that turned into the flu. Then that turned into pneumonia, um, in June. And it was just my body saying like, screw you. Like, what, what are you doing? Um, and I, so I wasn't able to go to meetings for the first like two weeks. I was I was back again, which which was hard. But um, you know, I, I knew I knew the people, and I got a different sponsor. So one of the big things for me is, and it's nothing, not that woman's fault at all. I didn't feel comfortable talking with her. I didn't feel comfortable telling her stuff. Um, and if you don't feel comfortable telling a sponsor, you know your dirtiest, darkest secret that you're going to take to the grave. I mean, you got to tell someone. Um, 
So I finally found someone. I actually asked her to sponsor me in a blackout, and that's why I was like, oh, it's God. Like, we're supposed to be together. Um, and she is the first woman in, you know, since 2011 that I feel comfortable showing her, like, every, everything. Like, this is me. And she has, you know, I did my fourth and fifth with her, and she didn't even bat an eye or flinch. Um, and I feel comfortable telling her things that, like, I don't even want to admit to myself. And that has made such a difference um, in my sobriety because I know for me, like, our secrets keep us sick. And I always give myself a hard time because I think a lot of bad stuff. And it's not our thoughts. It's the actions um, is what I've been told. And I can call my sponsor and say, okay, this is really bad, but, and I just say it. She's like, oh, yeah, I think that all the time. I'm like, really? Um, you know, and that's been really great for me. Um, and every time I think of getting a new sponsor, because the only times I think of getting a new sponsor is when she tells me something I don't want to hear or I don't like. I'm like, oh, I got to get a new sponsor. Um, but, you know, I remember, like, I can be my true, authentic self with her. Um, and, you know, my life today, like, I, my sobriety today is extremely different than it was before. And I think it has a lot to do with, with the people I'm surrounding myself with now in the program I'm working. Because I wasn't working a great program before. I, I can admit that. And also age. You know, I was 21 when I came in the first time. And I think, like, AA raised me, but it could only raise me and, and mature me as much as I was willing to meet, meet in the middle and, and do the work. So now, you know, 29, I'm kind of realizing that um, it's not always a party all the time. Like, I can't stay up till 5 a.m. playing cards and drinking Monster. Um, and I've surrounded myself with these women that they have what I want, um, and they're kind, and they're loving. And I used to surround myself with... Um, the men, like, I just thought I got along with guys better. There's no drama. Um, there's always drama. <laughs> and, um, you know, not to say that, that I don't hang out with men now. Like, I, I absolutely do have, you know, my, my sobriety brothers. But I have connections with women today that, um, you know, when shit hits the fan, like, I'm calling them. And they know my true, authentic self. And I just... Um, if something went wrong, like, I have a, a whole phone book of, of women I could call, and they would be there, you know, so fast. Um, what else? So this time in sobriety, like, I've really been working on six and seven, and I've learned that I am angry. <laughs> I am a very angry person, and I've really been struggling with that, um, hence the road rage I just told you guys about. Um, and this, um, I've been trying to, like, think what's really going on with it and you know the gifts of sobriety like I just went to Israel for two weeks there is this program um it's a nonprofit, and I got to go for free with a bunch of other alcoholics it's not an not a AA related program but it just so happened to be a niche trip where it was people in NA and AA um and I went over there and you know Israel Jerusalem I don't care if you're religious or not it's like one of the most holy places in the world um and there, like, every, my shoulders just went down. All the anger I had went away. Um, and I was just, like, super go with the flow and, like, not uptight and controlling. And one of the girls was like, Rachel, you're so relaxed. Like, you're not getting mad about anything. And, I mean, it's 22 alcoholics traveling in a bus together and staying in hostels together. Like, 
that makes my blood boil thinking about it now. Um, she's like, you're so calm and like chill. I was like, you want my sponsor's phone number? Um, and I, I didn't realize until I got back like what it was. My sponsor said something of anger. Like we get angry at what we have emotional ties to. Um, and so that's been something I've really been focusing on right now is I get re the resentments I get today are the people that I love the most and I'm around every day because you're not doing what I think you should be doing. You're not working the program I think you should be doing. You're not staying up to your boss like I think you should be staying up to your boss. Um, why don't you just do like, and I get angry. And so I've really been working on trying to separate um, the emotion and just like meeting people where they are. Um, and having love and love and tolerance and patience. And for this alcoholic, that is extremely hard. And I don't know, I don't have the answers to that. Um, I don't know how to do that. I'm still a work in progress, but I just know that if I don't do that and I stay angry, I keep secrets. Um, and then when I keep secrets, I go out again and then it's not pretty. Um, so, you know, my life today is, is wonderful. Um, you know, bad stuff still happens. Um, but I am really grateful for the life I have, and I know I'm starting to ramble, and no one ever gets mad when you end early. So I'm just going <laughs> to shut up and thank you again, Teresa, for asking me to come to Greensboro. Thanks.